Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Marcus Antonsen to my Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are we? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Not bad. I, I, I'm sure you were scratching around for Swedish strikers there. Antonsen's very, very niche. Yeah, I was looking through the list of former Swedish championship strikers and obviously there's Victor Jokeres, but I didn't want to compare Zlatan to him because he's quite good. Um, and then Marcus Antonsen is the best I could find. So the other players who won the list were John Guadetti, formerly Ooh, of Burnley, completely nice. forgot he even played in the championship. Yeah, he did, yeah. Um, Joel Asoro used to play for Swansea and Sunderland, yes. I think. Yes, Matthijs Svensson. Come on. Yeah, yeah, but Svensson was kind of a cult hero as well at Norwich, yes, he? whereas Antonsen was just very bang average. And I wanted to pay tribute to Zlatan, you know, because yeah. what a career he's had after his retirement this week. Yeah, yeah, not, not a bad one at all. He's, he's scored quite a few goals for a lot of clubs. I think he scored in the Champions League for an obscene amount of Marcus teams. Marcus Antonsen, you're talking about here, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's easy to get them mixed up. They are so comparable. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, Zlatan's never done it in the Championship, so what can we say? Yeah, exactly. Has he really tested himself until <laughs> he's come to the Championship? Uh, Justin, I was listening to uh, Sunday's episode and it made me realise that I was, I was quite negative in that episode. It turns out the teams in the Championship next season who are in the second half of the division alphabetically... I'm not feeling too positive about. Luckily, in this episode, which people will have seen from the title of the episode, feeling quite a bit positive about plenty of these sides, actually. Maybe it's an agenda for that second half of that, the alphabet. It's, just a, it's a letter-specific agenda as opposed to a team agenda. So at least fans can now rest easy that you don't have an agenda against their football team. It's just a letter in which their team begins with. Maybe. Maybe it is something to do with that. Having said that, we were quite positive about the likes of Sunderland, Wormery and a couple of others I genuinely cannot remember off the top of my head. I just remember being so negative about so many teams. But without further ado, let's talk about the teams who have been promoted and relegated to the Championship. Welcome to the number one Championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, as I say, we're going to be looking at the teams who have been relegated from the Premier League, promoted to the Championship and talk about how they're kind of shaping up ahead of next season. What needs to be done over the summer for them to be a force to be reckoned with in the Championship next season. We'll talk about that. Also talk a bit about Cardiff City. They've got a new manager who I'm pretty sure 99.9% .9 of our listeners have never even heard of. In fact, let's be honest, 100% of our listeners have never heard of. Um, we'll have a little chat about him and speak to a Turkish football expert to tell us more about Elo Bulut. And then we'll also finish off with a little game right at the end. So we'll kick things off just with the teams who have been relegated from the Premier League to the Championship. And we'll start with the team who finished top of the pile in that regard, Leicester City. Now, Leicester were relegated with the highest wage bill and most expensive squad in Premier League history. Justin, I remain quite shocked as to how exactly they did go down. It may very well have been the highest wage bill and most expensive squad. It's got to be the best squad in terms of talent as well, hasn't it? Uh, I guess so. I do have some scepticism over that Leicester squad. And it's mainly down to the lack of viable strikers at the football club. Patson Dak has failed to pull up trees since his arrival a couple of seasons ago. Kelechi Inacho is good for sort of six or seven league goals a season, but he's never really been that main man at Leicester City. And Jamie Vardy's mid thirties, so and, and and his 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 career is starting to wane a little bit. Although he, you know he he can pop up in the right place at the right time sometimes, his pace is you know gone essentially. It's not there. Um, and that's, that was his main strength. So I'm not all too surprised. And obviously there's a lot of injuries last season. James Justin, Ricardo Pereira. There are countless more that I, that I can't really reel off. Centre-halves was, was a light area as well. So I'm not really surprised that they've got an expensive squad, but it's not built with a lot of depth in there either. So yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is a surprise given some of the quality that they've got. But at the same time, there's not been a lot of forward planning over the club because they've not been able to spend too much over the last few years. Yeah, they were undoubtedly weak in some areas, but at the end of the day, no team with James Madison, Yuri Tielemans, Harvey Barnes, etc. 
should be anywhere near getting relegated. I mean, there's a very good argument to be had that James Madison is the best player to ever get relegated from the Premier League. I'm still not sure as to how last season happened to them. I'm, I mean, well, it's quite they quite clearly hung on to Brendan Rodgers for too long. I don't think getting Dean Smith in was a great move. They didn't sign many players either, did they, in either, either of the two transfer windows. But I feel like there's more to their relegation which we just don't know about, uh, which may come out over the coming years. Uh, what do you think about Leicester heading into next season then, Justin? I feel like they've got a lot of surgery to do over the summer. And I was reading up recently that they've only just started the process for appointing a new manager I know they were only relegated last 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 week but at the end of the day was Dean Smith ever going to be a long-term option I don't think so I think they should have <laughs> been planning a lot longer than, than, than maybe this for, for for both eventualities and that's apparently apparently not being the case they do have the bones of a good squad if you look at you know their defense Harry Souter he's coming back into a league he thrived in last season this might be the the jump start he needs to his Leicester career because he has hasn't really been able to get going in a Leicester shirt yet. Partly down to because of how poor they've been as a team, not just him. Daniel Leverson as well, best goalkeeper in the league at times for Preston on loan and, and rather in various other loan spells. He's coming to a league he's 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 um you know he's thrived in. If they can keep one of if they can pull off the impossible and keep one of Harvey Barnes or James Madison, then there's there's clearly a talisman aspect to that to that um to that attack and that creativity as well. Wilfred Ndidi, Ricardo Pereira, James just when he's back from injury and Ricardo Pereira as well. There's the bones of a really good squad, but it needs at least seven or eight more players adding to it. And it might seem a lot, but when you look at how light central midfield is, they need forwards, they need wingers, they need to replace outgoing, uh, outgoing players as well. Centre-halves, there's a lot that needs to be added, added to it. And without a manager there as well, When's this process going to begin? Because it's three weeks until pre-season stereotypically starts at the start of July. Is that enough time to get a new squad together, to get a manager in, to get ideas bedded in? Don't think it is. So it might be a bit of a slow start for, for Leicester. I didn't want Leicester to get relegated. The chief reason for that is because they could have one of the strongest squads we've ever seen at championship level. The exodus has already begun with the likes of Yori Tielemans, Daniel Amati, Ayosi Perez being released. But even if they lose five or six other players in the summer, Leicester should have a really good squad. It all depends on who stays. And there's going to be a massive turnover. There's no doubt about that. But right now, we can have a guess at what the team could look like. A defence with Harry Souter, as you say, Justin, Valt Feis, uh, Johnny Evans, Luke Thomas, James Justin, a midfield including Kieran Dewsbury Hall, Hamza Chowdhury, Bubakar Samara, uh, forwards like Jamie Vardy, Kalechi Inacho, Patson Dacca. Some of these players may leave, but there may, other, may, may, may be others who we expect to leave but don't and surprise us and stay. So it would be safe to assume the likes of James Madison and Harvey Barnes will be going, but there'll be plenty of money for those two, as well as a few others. The Athletic has already been reporting that Leicester will probably have the biggest budget in the Championship. So even with that squad that they've got, they'll be able to add to it significantly. They need to get moving in terms of that. They need to get a manager, first of all. Um, and that's going to be the big question, really. Who's in charge of them next season? That could be the thing that really scuppers them for me. Some of the names being banded about. Dean Smith carrying on. Scott Parker. Mm. It feels a bit like Groundhog mm. Day, doesn't it? With us having to talk about why we're not big fans of those two. Mm. Uh, Enzo Moresco, who's a coach at Man City, has been mentioned. I'd much prefer them taking a chance on someone like him. So I'll have to wait and see who's appointed before I nail my colours to the mast on Leicester getting promoted or not. But the planning has got to, you know, it should have been started already. So I'm not sure why the manager isn't already looking like he's about to be in place, like Southampton, for example. Um, the churn in the squad is going to be a bit concerning because there's going to be loads of players going out the door and I imagine quite a few players coming in. So that's going to be interesting as well. But overall, you could be looking at Leicester in a few weeks' time and saying, God damn, that squad is looking very strong. The manager could be a problem, though. Let's go to Leeds United, Justin. When Leeds got promoted three years ago, we were still talking about them, weren't they? Well, first season, talking about the championship, Leeds got promoted. And I thought that was it. I thought we'd never see them again. 
at championship level. A club that size shouldn't be in this division, quite frankly, should it? So the fact they're back this soon, there's been a massive balls up, hasn't there? <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. I I, I think I put out a tweet uh, a couple of weeks ago um, about Vincent Orter and whether or not his, his track record at Leeds is, is, a, is a good one. He's made one very good decision in, in, in getting Marcelo Bielsa in, but um, recruitment has been has been a bit scattergunny for my, for my money. I don't think his, his his record at Ellen Road's the best. He's a very passionate character, and, but that's about it. So I think that 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 planning aspect really pulls into it when um, when Alto has been making a decision. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go through where they go from here. But as you quite rightly said, I didn't expect to see Leeds for a while. But this is what bad planning gets you. This is what bad squad planning gets you. This is what bad decision making gets you. You know, to go from Bielsa to Jesse Marsh to um, Javi Grazia to Sam Allardyce. Christ, it is quite quite the travel, isn't it, in terms of um, managers and, and, and ideas and philosophies. But they're in the position now where they can where they can rebuild. There's potential new owners, potential new ownership coming in with the 49ers. So there's 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 a real, real, you know, starting from the ground up situation that, that could be a good thing for Leeds. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. A lot of bad decisions made with managers. Ultimately, I just don't think the squad is actually that good. No mm-hmm. disrespect to them. Liam Cooper, Luke Ayling, Patrick Bamford shouldn't still be regulars there after three seasons in the Premier League. If they want to get to the next level, they should have cut those guys off and started actually replacing them. But they just haven't. Out of the three relegated sides, Leeds are the one I'm least confident about going straight back up. It feels as if the club needs a bigger reset than the others. And the reason for that is if is because it feels like it's the end of an era there. The start of that Bielsa team are nearly all gone. Your Liam Coopers and Luke Haylings aren't getting any younger. Jack Harrison's probably going to leave. Patrick Bamford's had a difficult couple of years. A lot of the players they've signed in the Premier League simply haven't been very good. The recruitment has been pretty poor there. So it's time for them to move on to a new era. And I'd like to see them put more of an emphasis on the young players they've got, which I think they will do. Charlie Cresswell's just had a brilliant season at Millwall. You've got the likes of Sam Greenwood, Joe Gellard as well, who are very highly rated young lads. Getting the right manager in is going to be so important, though. Someone who has a record of developing young players would be ideal, but just getting someone who can, you know, turn the tide at Leeds would be the first and foremost thing. There is an ongoing takeover by the owners of the San Francisco 49ers, which should be complete this week. So hopefully we'll get more answers then. But that's another thing about the end of an era, really. It's not just the end of an era on the pitch. It's also an end of an era off the pitch as well with um, the with Radrazzini going out the door as well. So yeah, there's plenty of change happening at Ellen Road and I'm, I'll, be, I'll be surprised really if everything just falls together this quickly and they get promoted straight away. I think our notes are pretty much carbon copies of each other. It's because we think very similar, Justin. Leeds are probably I don't know if it's a good thing about Leeds to be honest with you because they're probably falling into that category that many people might be might be pinning them in but there is that big rebuild but there's also a lot of good youngsters coming through you mentioned Sam Greenwood Charlie Cresswell Somerville uh, Critio Somerville as well is another one there's a lot of quality coming through that they should build the squad around I think Bielsa was a deciding factor for a lot of that that team as well that you mentioned at the, the end of an era he made average championship players in Liam Cooper, Luke Ayling, um, Matthijs Click, uh, Patrick Bamford. Made average championship players incredible. You know, the, the system, the complex system, the aggressive press, the fluidity was so complex. Um, and, and it was so well coached that he made those average championship players very, very good players. Without that Bielsa factor, I think they're just average championship players once again. And that's probably shown over the last couple of seasons or, or last season and a half without Bielsa there. They've been conceding a lot of goals etc so yeah I do think there's a big rebuild and getting that manager in place and ensuring it's the man that's that's going to be for the long term I think Leeds are a big football club that can attract a big name and I think that's the route they should go down once again because there's going to be a decent budget there's going to be some really quality young players coming through um, as well as some 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 promising players you know Wilfred Nonto um, Robin Cock as well uh, uh, Meslier there's some really good players that they can build the team around but 
as you quite rightly say, there's a bit of a rebuild there at Leeds that, that needs to be that needs to be sorted. But is that going to get done before the takeover? Probably not. So a lot depends on the timing of that takeover. Yeah, it's also applicable with them who's going to actually stay because I'm assuming the foreign players that they've signed in their in the Premier League, a lot of them will leave. And I, I struggle to see many of them actually hanging around um, in the Championship next season. But it will be interesting to see which ones do stay. As I say, not many of them have really been successes. So it wouldn't be a bad thing if they were all to go this summer. Southampton then, Justin. Southampton had a very poor season and fully deserved their relegation didn't they no one is denying that their recruitment was terrible a lot of money spent with very little reward Ralph Hasenhutl fell out with everyone Nathan Jones didn't work Ruben Sellers had a shocker just a lot of bad at Southampton last season and <laughs> I don't think it was a surprise in the end that they got relegated no, no, it wasn't. And it's. I think the surprise is the fact that um, Sport Republic took over the club in January 2022. I mean, the 18 months or a championship team, which is, is. I don't know if that's a, uh, you know, you should label too much criticism. They probably tried too hard too soon. Um, Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl, for me, is, is, is an incredibly good coach and, and more than good enough um, at the top level in, uh, in any league, really. Um, he's just, the recruitment's just let... let let the let the club down. The quality of players that they bought in weren't good enough. I read a report in the Athletic saying it was it was too data led. The recruitment was, which probably lends into it the you know, lack of personalities at a club, which which does go a long way. I know it's such a cliche for older managers to to to, to rely on, but you mix in that data side of things with with personalities and, and making sure they're the right fit for the squad is is you know the most effective route to go down. So getting that approach right this summer is, is absolutely essential. And obviously they, they're, they're committing to a new manager already, which is good. They're, they're a step ahead of the likes of Leicester and Leeds. But at the same time, you know they're going to lose players like James Ward-Prowse, Carl Walker-Peters, um, Roman Lavier as well. There are players that are, are going to go out the door, maybe share them. So there's, there's, a, there's a need to, to, to replace those. So I do think the joy's still out in Russell Martin. Um, I'm not entirely convinced of him like you are there's there's definitely a lot of potential there as a football coach as, as a manager but at the same time his, his style of play does have holes in it he does concede goals and there's sometimes that they can be a little bit too passive in possession but at the same time with a better quality of player might improve so there's a bit of skepticism there so again I think all three teams whilst they are on paper very wealthy decent squads I do think there's a lot of uncertainty with them well, despite how miserable a season it was for Southampton, and I feel quite optimistic about them, getting a manager sorted early could end up being really important. And what a manager at that. I mean, you look at Leicester, who have only just started their managerial search. Leeds, I'm assuming, won't be able to appoint anyone until the takeover's done. Southampton are already planning ahead. And they've got Russell Martin, who I rate really highly. I'm very excited to see what he can do with better players, more resources, which he hasn't really had yet so far as a manager. I think a lot of people are underestimating as well how wealthy a club Southampton are. They spent £120 million last season. They'll spend a fair bit this summer again, I suspect, especially with the money they'll get for selling the likes of James Ward-Prowse, Romeo Lavia, Carlos Alcaraz. I think they should sign well too. Now, people will look at the recruitment from last season and say well that was a disaster why do you think it's going to be good this summer Rasmus Ankerson the director of football at Southampton got a lot of blame for their relegation because the recruitment was so poor he tried to change too much as far as I'm concerned but his record at Brentford before was phenomenal he's responsible for signing the likes of Said Benrahma David Rea Ollie Watkins Rico Henry Matthias Jensen Brian and Bumo He's no slouch. He knows what he's doing. And despite who's probably heading out the door this summer, Southampton will still have some very good players in their ranks. I mean, James Bree was the best right back in the championship last season before his departure. Joe Rebo is a very good technical player. Adam Armstrong, Che Adams have both scored a lot of goals at this level. They will need to do plenty of recruiting because there's plenty of holes in this squad already and not much depth. And that's before you even look at the players who are going to be heading out the door. But I'd be expecting Southampton to be in or around the top two come the end of next season. 
mainly because I think they're going to be backed really well. They've already got a very good manager in the dugout. Um, it just depends who comes in through the door this summer, really. Yeah, that's the key thing, is, is is replacing those key players that are going to be going, the big personalities, because whilst it's not inconce- inconceivable to, to, to suggest that James Ward-Prowse will stay at the club because he is Southampton born and bred, etc., um, he's a big personality, so playing for that eventuality is, is a big thing. But there's there's a really good core of young players. I know you just reeled a loads off, the likes of Rebo, Salisa, um, Gav Bizzano, um, Bizzuno, sorry, James Bree on the right of a of a Russell Martin back three. By the way, I really like the idea of that as well. So there there is a, a I think a much better grounding to build upon for Southampton than there is the likes of Leicester and, and and Leeds because with Leicester and Leeds, as you've pointed out already, it feels like the end the ends of eras at, at those football clubs where Southampton, with the takeover happening last year and a big recruitment drive over the last twelve months, it feels like the very start. Yeah, for me, I'll always say this, and this is very handy going into the promoted section of this conversation Justin as long as you've got the right manager in charge you're halfway there as as far as I'm concerned and I think Russell Martin's a very smart appointment from a Southampton perspective Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about the teams who have been promoted to the championship from League One Back to the second tier podcast. So we've just gone through the teams who have been relegated from the Premier League into the Championship. Let's talk about the teams who have been promoted from League One into the Championship. And we'll start off with the champions of League One from the past season. That's Plymouth Argyle. And Plymouth's promotion is a truly wonderful story, isn't it? In amidst a League One with such big clubs in it, like your Ipswiches, Sheffield Wednesdays, Derby's, your Boltons, your Portsmouths, etc. Plymouth come out on top. And in some style, only Wolves in 2014 got promoted from League One with more points than Plymouth did this season. An astonishing achievement, especially because they did not have a massive budget by any means. It, compared to the teams I've just mentioned, it's a pittance really compared to them. They've been very shrewd with their signings and also have an excellent manager in Stephen Schumacher, don't they? Yeah, I'm a big Steve Schumacher fan. I think oh, any listener over the last sort of 12 months, any job that's come up with a team that should be pray, playing a sort of a, a progressive possession attacking based style of football, I'll always, I'll always fall back on Stephen Schumacher because I remember at Pride Park last season, September, Plymouth beat Derby 3-2. They played some of the best football I've seen played against Derby for a long, long time. That's championship teams as well. They were so incisive. They were passing it through the thirds, through the middle. The movement was brilliant. It was so good to watch. It was so, so good to watch. The interesting thing about Plymouth is how they're going to adapt that style to the championship when when teams have come with huge budgets um, and better players, etc. coming up against them. But they managed to sustain that championship or the championship push, the title-winning push against the likes of Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday, and managed to finish on top of ahead of those teams in in, in record-breaking fashion. So there's, there's certainly potential there. There just needs a fair bit of work done to the squad this summer. A lot of loan players need replacing. Nylanis needs replacing. They need to add a little bit of quality into their team as well. But I'll bang that drum. Plymouth for a team I'm, I'm incredibly intrigued about, but also excited about as well. Yeah, and I share that excitement, Justin. I was amazed to have a look at the bookies odds and see Plymouth as the favourites to go down I just think they have got it completely wrong on this one in my view if you come into the championship and look and stay up you're halfway there if you have a tremendous manager and that's exactly what Plymouth have in Stephen Schumacher as you say we've been linking him to jobs for months now Justin which Plymouth fans won't be too happy about but it's simply because when you've got a 39 year old manager doing as good a job as him it's hard not to get excited. I hope that he stays put at Plymouth and carries on building what's already being built there because it's turning out to be a really special story. The recruitment, though, is the real star of the show here. It's based off data. They've looked at the likes of Brighton, Brentford, Luton and said, 
what are these guys doing and taking a leaf out of their book? And it surprises me that clubs don't do this more, but the club's owner, Simon Hallett, says they base signings off of data. It's not about how much money they've got, it's how you spend it, is what he says. And it's been spent very well now over the past couple of years. Their annual wage bill last season was six million. The average in the championship is 32 million. That's quite the step up, which they will have to uh, get used to. A lot of their best players have been on loan, so they'll need replacing as well. So it's going to be difficult. There's a huge summer ahead for them, but the owners are very switched on. The manager's excellent, so I can see them staying up quite comfortably and maybe even looking further up the table because this is a club that's run extremely well. And as long as you've got that, plus a very good manager, you're more than halfway there to staying up in my book. Just in Ipswich Town were fantastic last season, weren't they? We were just talking about how Plymouth had the second best points tally ever in League One. Well, Ipswich had the best points tally ever for a second place side. They had accrued enough points to have won the league in 14 of the last 19 League One seasons. <laughs> they themselves had an unbelievable season in their own right. They picked up a club record points tally, scored a club record number of goals. They smashed League One and if it wasn't for a blip around the new year, would have smashed it even more. We talk about exciting young managers. Ipswich have one of them in Kieran McKenna. They spent a fair bit of money last season, but they've put together this squad, which has been coined by many as one of the best ever at League One level. So after blitzing everyone but Plymouth in League One, expectations are high heading into this season. Depending where you look, some bookies have them down as the eighth most likely team to win the league, which I can't remember the last time I saw that from a newly promoted side, but that says a lot about the expectations. How excited are you about Ipswich Town, Justin? Yeah, incredibly excited. I think I said um, not too long ago that they, they could be a team that go and do the double in the sense that they, they get promoted from League One, then they get promoted from the Championship, using that momentum and, and drive from, from the positive season in League One that they have and using it in the Championship. They've got a, a very good squad, and I think that's where the enthusiasm really, really sort of stems um, for me is the fact that they've got a lot of players in their prime years a lot of good young players hitting their prime years Nathan Broadhead Wes Burns Leif Davis Connor Chaplin Luke Wolfenden uh, Christian Walton there's, there's, there's just reading them off players that should certainly play, be playing in the championship anyway they shouldn't have been in League One but they've had that opportunity to really express themselves and Kieran McKenna's got a system that can be pragmatic that can be expansive but it also scores, and, scores a lot of goals and keeps a lot of clean sheets as well it is the perfect balance all round, which is the really key thing here. The, the run that they went on in the final third of the season was just incredible. And that's down to to um, to, to garnering that pragmatism and blending it with the, the progressiveness as well. And I think having that blend enabled being able to mix your you know, mix your styles is going to really stand them in good set in, in in a really difficult, difficult championship next year. A lot of big teams, a lot of big budgets. But I think Ipswich have got the opportunity to, to really play with them. Um, and as well as that, I've, I've heard murmurs. I don't know how solid it is, but I've heard murmurs of, of, of there being a good-sized budget again to go again in the Championship, which is only going to benefit them in terms of you know, replacing those players. And just the amount of goals that they scored, credit Freddie Ladapo was, um, was second fiddle to Conor Chaplin, essentially, last season. But he still hit double figures. So there's just so much potential in this team, I think, for them to finish second and Plymouth not to be talked about. is disrespectful to Plymouth, but it also pays a lot of um, compliments to how effective Ipswich were last season. Yeah, it is hard as a neutral and championship nerd not to be excited about Ipswich Town and what they can bring to the league this season. First off, the manager is one of the brightest managerial prospects this country has to offer for me. The job Kieran McKenna's done in such a short period of time is nothing short of remarkable. 37 years old. I was chatting to one of the lads uh, from the Talking Town podcast and he says he's convinced he'll be managing in the Premier League and that seems to be a sentiment shared amongst many Ipswich fans. I'm not going to disagree with that. They dominated football matches in League One and essentially sat on teams until they submitted. It's no surprise that he's been linked with the move away but I really, really hope he stays because it's really, really exciting what's happening at Portman Road. You look at the squad, it's already strong at championship level. Connor Chaplin was too good to drop down to League One in the first place. Ditto Sam Morsey. Leif Davis is an exciting left-back. Lou Wolfenden's a very good centre-back. Uh, Nathan Broadhead, Harry Clark, both came in in January. 
both were great. If Ipswich went into next season without any new signings, don't think the fans would be very happy, but I think they would stay up. However, the owners at Ipswich are very ambitious and will give Kieran McKenna plenty of backing this summer, as you mentioned, Justin. So they have the right to set expectations high. You look at the teams who finished in mid-table of the Championship last season, there's plenty of teams there who you're not really sure what direction they're going in. They're either going sideways, maybe at a slight angle upwards, or for a lot of teams down there, just facing down. Ipswich could very well jump the queue in that respect, and I would not rule out a top six finish with them. Um, and all the ingredients are there for a very successful season. So I'm extremely excited about Ipswich Town. Part of that is because I've got a soft spot for them watching the watching them during the Mick McCarthy days um, and there wasn't much optimism around there <laughs> when I was going to see them uh, now there is and that's a, that's always good to see because it's a fantastic club just in Sheffield Wednesday they had a bit of a strange season didn't they because they were in the top they, they were in the top two of League One for essentially the whole of 2023 before falling out right at the death then you had all the drama in the playoffs and it feels like they've kind of snuck into the championship when it's not really the case, is it? They fully deserve their place here. They were two points off Ipswich in second, 10 points ahead of fourth-placed Barnsley. And this stat is absolutely balmy, Justin. They have by far the biggest points tally ever for a side not to get automatically promoted from League One and won enough points to win the league in 11 of the previous 19 League <laughs> One seasons. <laughs> that is insane. Okay. It's absolutely balmy. And... I it, Well, it would have felt like a big injustice if they didn't get promoted, but it says a lot about how strong the championship is next season that a team as good as Sheffield Wednesday came up through the League One playoffs. You managed to reel off a lot there without actually mentioning how emphatic it was for them to get promoted in the first place, coming from 4-0 down in the playoffs and then scoring in the 122nd minute at Wembley in the playoff final as well. I so say that's emphatic, Justin, but... <laughs> But it is. I mean, the standard of the goal is is quite emphatic, and and just yeah, the, against the odds when the odds were heavily in their favour, I think is yeah, it's, it's such a swing as well. But I mean, I've I've got a stat here about the average age of the squad, which might tell you why they they fell fell you know, down out of that race for the title. Their average age of their squad was twenty eight. Compared that to Ipswich was twenty six, and then Plymouth was twenty four. So there's a clear sort of age gap between those two teams that. That able that were able to stand um, you know, the test of the the, the season much much um, more efficiently than, than Sheffield Wednesday were, but with that average age of the squad, there's, there's clearly there needs to be a bit of youth injected into the squad over the summer. But I think Darren Moore's got a very solid team to work with. There's certainly better squads. They certainly got a better squad than teams that have come up in the past and succeeded. So I don't see why that's not going to be a um, a thing for for Darren Moore to achieve this this coming season as well. There's been a lot of sort of um, maybe sort of getting carried away with it after the the Wembley win. I, yeah, I, I think there was a misinterpretation of what Transferi said when he said we'll go again, and I think a lot of broadcasters thought they'll go for promotion again. But I think it just means we'll build the cl- club back up again and, and make sure it's a stable club in the championship because that's what they need. They need a bit of stability. Um, and that's not something that they've not had for a while. So ensuring that they spend within their means and and become a stable football club is, is certainly the best route forward for Sheffield Wednesday next season. And a little bit of um, a little bit of pragmatism heading into the season would be would be a good a good a good start. And I think they've got the quality and ability to survive, but they need a little bit of youth in that team. Yeah, you mentioned the experience, Justin. That was the thing that caught my eye. They're coming back into the championship with plenty of experienced players. All the players who featured in more than a quarter of the possible minutes played for Sheffield Wednesday were all 27 or older, which is uh, pretty remarkable, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, with that being said, I, I would like to see a few more young players, but they've got some very good players who really should have been playing in the championship in the first place let alone league one barry bannon is that barry bannon is the headliner who really should have been playing in the second tier anyway josh windass had an incredible season after dropping into a number 10 role michael smith's the first wednesday player to score more than 20 goals in over a decade liam palmer's a championship legend and was immense last season Will Volks became an important player for them as the season went on as well. So an incredibly experienced side and that could serve them well staying in the championship. As I say, I would like to see a few more young legs added to 
the group we've already got here. But this is another case where I reckon if Wednesday didn't sign any players this summer, they'd have a good chance of staying up as it was because of that squad. Not recommended, but I do think um, I, I, I do think they need to add. But you look at that defence in particular, you ask Wednesday fans who their best centre-back was last season, they'll say Mark McGuinness, and he was only there for the first half of mm-hmm. the season. So they need central defenders. I've seen Regan Paul at Lincoln linked, which I think would be a good yeah. signing. Probably a couple of attackers as well. But I like Darren Moore as a manager. He's a tremendously nice guy. Deserves a lot of credit for making Sheffield Wednesday such a great side last season. They drop off around March-April time. Bit concerning. But otherwise, we're talking about probably the best League One side to not get automatically promoted. I think they should be fine next season. Dependent on who they sign this summer, of course. I can quite easily see there being three worse teams than them. Probably even more. So I don't really know what the aim is for Wednesday next season. But if it is indeed simply to stay up, I think they can do that quite easily. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. As I say, that that experience is going to play a huge role. You look at the likes of Michael Heckware, um, Barry Bannon, Michael Smith, uh, Cameron Dawson had a really good season last season. It's a really strong spine. And that's not even mentioning the likes of Liam Palmer, as you say. Um, you know, and other players... It's it's a good it's a good enough squad to be competitive in the championship. It's just whether or not again it can last the full the full rigors of what is going to be a very competitive division. They need younger players added in. We know that, and I think if they can get a few in, get a little bit of pace in that forward line as well, because that's something that they do lack. You know, the likes of Lee Gregory and Michael Swift aren't exactly blessed with um, you know a quick hundred meters, are they? But it's a really strong start for them, and I think that's the key thing. The experience is going to play a huge role, but. I say there's certainly going to be at least three worse teams than than Sheffield Wednesday next season. Yeah, you would have thought so. And we've spoken a lot about how many players certain teams need to sign. I don't think Sheffield Wednesday need to, you know, throw out the kitchen sink and sign a whole new squad. I think they could quite easily get by by just, but as I say, probably easy easily get by with just having the same squad. But you know, signing what five or six players this summer Mm. I think that would be more than enough to be honest let's uh, move on from the teams who are the new additions to the championship Justin and talk about a side who are in the championship but may very well not be based off how we've been feeling about them recently that's Cardiff City now they've been on the search for a new manager after Sabi Lamushi decided that he wasn't going to stay on next season so they brought in a new manager and that manager is Edo Bulut uh, he's previously only managed in Turkey. Now, it's safe to say Justin and I had absolutely no idea who this guy was, as do, I suspect, 99.9% of the people listening right now. So let's find out a bit more about him. Ahmet Bob Turgit is a Turkish football expert. I spoke to him earlier this week. Ahmet, thank you for joining us on the show today. So we've got this news that Errol Bulut is going to be the new Cardiff manager. Give us a bit of background on him first of all as a manager what can you tell us about him uh thank you for uh inviting me your uh podcast show my name is Ahmed Bob Turgut former uh journalist worked for a Turkish daily newspaper in Turkey and doing podcast and also you can follow me on Twitter at Turkish soccer yeah Errol Bulut is as you know he was born in Germany uh Ryan and uh, to a Turkish family, as you know, back in the 1960s, a lot of Turkish families that moved to uh, Germany to work, uh, make and and uh, meet and you know make a little money uh, to better have a better life or so have a better uh, family. So Errol Bullitt is one of those uh, kids that was born in uh, Germany. And he was in uh, Frankfurt. He got his uh, farm education uh, playing in the farm team for uh, Frankfurt team. And then he was transferred to Fenerbahce as a player. And after playing with Fenerbahce, he was he played with Trabzonspor and many other, other uh, Turkish Super League teams. And then he played for uh, Greece. And he came back, he started uh, coaching, he got his license. He started coaching with uh, the gentleman that uh, won the championship this year, Okan Bruk. He was his assistant in Elazığ, probably back in uh, 2000, 
that was his first uh, coaching experience with him. Then he was assistant to Abdullah the team, uh, the uh, coach that used to coach the Turkish national team, also coached Başakşehir. Then he uh, he uh, he went solo. He went to Yeni Malatya Sport, coached there. From there, uh, he had coached, uh, I believe, uh, Fenerbahce for a, a season or so. And then he went from there to other teams. So pretty much he's one thing that I like about him. He's got a, uh, he believes in system. He's very, uh, because of the education he got from uh, Germany, different from other coaches that in Turkey right now, there are very few coaches could speak German and also English. That is going to be a plus for him to explain himself to English media. So I think it's a great choice. He's only 49 years old. He's got the experience. And I think he was a lot of, uh, he, when he coached Fenerbahce, he was under a lot of pressure. There was too many uh, star players in Fenerbahce team. He couldn't handle the uh, the star players. And then uh, what happens, I'm sure it's the same way in England too. When the fans get on your case, then uh, coach starts to struggle. That's what happened with him, Errol Blut, with Fenerbahce. But overall, I think he's a young uh, coach that could do uh, very good with uh, England, uh, with the card, you know, with the, uh, the new team. So what can you tell us about his style of play? His style of play, he likes to play two forward up. Sometimes he has to change the uh, he could change that to one uh, one player on top. He believes in uh, three defense, uh, three man defense, but he likes to uh, play very strong midfield. Uh, so I did, I, you know that's how he used to play uh, in uh, Turkey, Turkish Super League especially. And he, he, when he coached Alanya Spor, I think he did very good uh, stuff there with Alanya Sport. So overall, his experience uh, with uh, Turkish Super League coaching in Turkish Super League, not bad. But I think he came to Fenerbahce too quick uh, to coach because Fenerbahce is, uh, you, you, you probably follow, they have like 20, 25 million sporters, one of the biggest clubs in uh, Turkey. And if things don't go right, as a matter of fact, same case with this season with Orge Yesus, he's under gun. I think he's going to leave the team because uh, the Fenerbahce fans are not happy with him uh, because they, he did not win the championship. So it, I think if you ask me my opinion, Errol Bullitt came to coaching to Fenerbahce a little early. Uh, he did not have... Uh, right tools to coach and plus what I said uh, before I think he did not have uh, he couldn't control the star players if you ask me yeah what's his kind of standing like in Turkey now so for example if he went to a mid-table Turkish side not one of the big three clubs what would be the reaction from that fan base do you think well, he, like I said, he was coaching uh, Alanya Spor, and that is a mid-level uh, bracket team, and I think they he did pretty good there, and uh, he coached um, Yeni Malatya Spor, even though they're not in the Turkish Super League anymore. Overall, his record, if you check his uh, record pretty much, it's not bad. This is what, how I look at the coaches. When they coach, he has a good plan. He has a good strategy in the practice sessions. He knows what he's doing, and he's probably it's going to be okay uh, with uh, over there coaching if they give him the time. Yes. Yeah, so what would be your message to Cardiff fans who have got this new coach who? They don't know anything about him, let's be honest. I don't think there's many Cardiff fans out there who are aware of uh, Mr. Balut before he came in. Um, would you say it's something to be excited about? 
Cardiff fans should be excited about him because he's very bright, young coach, and he likes to listen. He's very uh, social. He's very uh, talkative, and is plus for him. He could explain himself uh, when he talks to media. Plus, I was very surprised the interview I just watched in uh, Cardiff uh, website about him that, that he gave to a recent interview to the club official uh, social media site. It is very good, and I don't know if a lot of people listen there. I think he's talking about good things for Cardiff uh, team and also Cardiff football fans there. Well, I think the, the final question then, Ahmed, would be Cardiff are really struggling right now. They have got loads of debt. They have only just stayed up in the championship last season. That's quite a task for him to keep them in the championship next season. But do you think he, he was capable of doing that? Well, uh, as far as I don't know much about uh, the Cardiff, uh, you know, financial situation, you, you're the one that knows better. But I think uh, with the players, and I'm sure he's going to have to get a couple players. Uh, we'll ask the team officials to get a couple good players. And let's ha- let's hope that he will do wonders there. And because uh, I think Car- like there's a lot of teams like that in Turkish Super League that are in financially, even, even we're talking about the top teams. Are very struggling after especially this COVID thing that happened in the world. Uh, pretty much every team is struggling in the football market. I think that's one of the reasons why Cardiff uh, chose to hire him. He's probably not a high-ticket uh, uh, coach to get. And I'm sure that they're going to pay uh, him good to I don't think he would come there for free but I think uh, it is good step for him if he wants to uh, coach in the uh, big leagues because let's face it in uh, if he shows something there I think it will be a step up for Premier League if he does some wonders with Cardiff team so I think that's why one of the reasons why he cho- chose to uh, come to Cardiff because it's a step down for him right now. Because if you look at it, he was coach, he was coaching in the Turkish Super League and he took a step down. And I think it will probably he made the right decision if he wants to coach abroad. So that's Ahmet Bob Turgit, who's a football, uh, Turkish football expert, talking to us about Cardiff's new manager, Erol Bulut. Justin, I'm not expecting expert analysis here from you about the life and times of Mr. Bulut. We've already had that from uh, Ahmet. Uh, but what have you made of this appointment? It certainly came out of the blue, didn't it? It did come out of the blue because I saw a Portuguese manager, on, well, if you believe Twitter, on the verge of being appointed at Cardiff. So for this then to happen is, yeah, it's quite the year uh, 360. So. It's been clearly done under the radar, which is a positive thing. I think getting the business done under the radar is a good thing. Looking into his his, his past tenures, I saw some positive things. I saw some decent um, points per game records. Two two points per game at Fenerbahce, one point four five at Malatya Spor, and one point seven seven at Spor. That's either promotion form or top half form over a 46-game season in the Championship. Obviously, looking at it from that point of view is, is very vague and very specific, and you can't really transfer that into the Championship. But there is elements of a, of a good coach there, and, and Turkey is a really hard lead to be successful in. Let's be honest, a lot of coaches have gone to Turkey and not been successful. Valerian Ishmael, Philip Koku, who come to my mind. So there's that to, to take from it as well. But look, Cardiff are in a position where they need to do something special, I think, to to uh, to stave off relegation next season, if it means going a bit, you know, making a surprise move for a manager from a different country, then that's that's maybe the case that they've got that there's maybe something they've got to do. But you know, maybe I would have stuck with Lamushi, maybe not. Maybe this manager's better, maybe not. We don't know yet. Jory's out on him, but there are elements of a good manager there, I think. But as I say, not an expert in Turkish football. The Cardiff hierarchy appears to have been going on a big PR push in the last 
couple of weeks, haven't they? They've been saying, they've been going on a global search to find the best possible manager. They've been saying they're set to announce a big signing, which will excite the fans. They've also been saying they're predicting to sell all available season tickets because of the business they're set to do this summer. So Cardiff are definitely winning the race to be the most interesting club of the summer. I mean, I, I don't know enough about Elor Bullock to say whether he's going to be a success or not. There have been examples of managers who were relatives unknowns came to the championship and did extremely well. Slavisa Jokanovic, Daniel Farker, Carlos Carvajal, etc. There have also been plenty of examples of those who were unknowns. We were told they were good managers, but then didn't do very well. Josla Hukai, Leonard Slutsky, Vladimir Ivic, just some of the names who come to mind for me. Um, what I'm saying is, just because you've heard plenty of good things about a manager you don't know about doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a success. What I find interesting about Cardiff is they've reportedly spent quite a bit of money on getting Bullet in. That's despite their last three managers being cheap options. So where's the money suddenly come from for this guy? And then the reported reason why Sabu Lamushi left is because he wasn't going to get backed this summer. But now Cardiff are indicating they're going to have this exciting transfer window despite having a transfer embargo so something doesn't seem right to me <laughs> i hope i'm wrong and cardiff have a good season because they should be in the position they're in anyway when they're relying on other teams getting points deductions to stay up however i'll have to see the proof in the pudding before i start declaring cardiff for going in the right direction again right now i'd still say they're the team most likely to go down next season but i'm very interested to see what happens over the coming weeks because I mean Errol Bullock could be a Turkish Pep Guardiola for all we know at the moment this squad is not going to stay up because it's simply not good enough in my eyes um, anything you want to add Justin? I was going to say that's the key thing if he's going to play a progressive style of football he needs technicians and the squad doesn't have enough technicians in it that's the key thing if he if he's backed and Cardiff do do back up what they say and they're going to have some marquee signings then then it could be a success. But that's that's the main thing. Recruitment's the, the, the pillar of every football club. And if it's not good enough as it has been over the years, then sadly it's not going to be a success, is it? No, completely agree. Shall we finish off with a little game, Justin? It's a, another game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe, but it's with a bit of a twist to what, how we usually play it. So Scott High or Ryan Lowe is essentially higher or lower. But this week, Justin, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to give you four things and you have to rank them in order from highest to lowest. There's three separate questions. Um, if you get one right... Um, Fair enough. If you get two right, I'll be impressed. If you get three right, then you truly are a championship expert. But I won't be surprised if you got none right here because it's quite difficult. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, it's something new. Why not? It certainly is. So your first question is this. Can you rank these four managers on who's managed the most games at championship level since 2004? Those managers are Steve Bruce. Feel free to write these down if you want. Steve Bruce... Billy Davis, Gary Rowett, and Alex Neal. Incredible. Incredible. Talk us through uh, your thinking here. Uh, so my thinking is Steve Bruce spent a lot of time in the Premier League close to my mic was I'm, I'm, I'm writing down. Billy Davis had one season in the Premier League, or had half a season in the Premier League before he was sacked. Um, Gary Rowett. Gary Rowett's an interesting one. Because he's been managing, he's managed every season in the championship since 2016. Mm. That's seven years, that's seven times seven, uh, seven times 46, sorry, which is a lot of football games. Quick maths. Um, and I can't remember who the last person was. Alex Neil. Alex Neil. Oh, Alex Neil, you are a bit of a, uh, you know, that's the that's the one, I think. So what order are you going in, Justin? I'm going to go Alex Neal. I'm going to go Gary Rowett. I'm going to go Billy Davis and then Steve Bruce. Alex Neal top. Alex Neal top, yeah. So he was appointed 2014-2015. He's been in the championship a half a season longer than Gary Rowett. Billy Davis appointed. Oh, Billy Davis, you scumbag. You're 2004 to 2000. Oh, Come no. on, Justin. I need an answer here. What's your final uh, answer? Ah, uh, balls, B. Davis has balls everything up. I'm going to go uh, B. Davis, Alex Neal, go route, Steve Bruce. Completely wrong. Um, 
<laughs> you got Steve Bruce right. I was a bit surprised that Steve Bruce is the lowest of the bunch. Um, I thought, even though he's managed in the Premier League quite a bit, I thought he would a have had games more as well. than that. Yeah, um, Gary Rowett was top with 350 games. Billy Davis was second with 296. Alex Neal third, 279. Steve Bruce 278. So just a game behind Alex Neal. So yeah, pretty wrong, Justin. Well, to be fair, my my, my original thinking was right. It just had to swap. Don't Alex care. Neal Next in. one is this. Rank these four players in terms of height. Jake Cooper, Rob Dickey, Aidan Flint, Harry Souter. Shit. There's some, <laughs> there's some, there's some big boys there. Um, Feel to write them down again. Rob Dickey is not gangly like Aidan Flint, and mm. how tall? Oh, you can't really tell me. That's um, the point of the game. <laughs> yeah, I've never. Oh, Annoyingly, I've never seen Rob Dickey play live, so it's quite hard to tell, isn't it? Aiden Flint's an absolute well, you monster. You've seen him live on telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Aiden Flint in Morrison's or a picture of him in Morrison's. So that's actually a really good indicator because of shelf height. Um, so right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Harry Souter, Aiden Flint, Rob Dickey's going to be last, and Jake Cooper third. You're so close. You've completely oh. underestimated how tall Jake Cooper is. Uh, Jake Cooper is the tallest of the bunch. He really? is 199 centimetres. Harry Souter second, 198 centimetres. Aidan Flint's 197. Rob Dickey's a miniature 193. Thought I'd throw him in there to kind of as like a bit of a red herring because he may have underestimated. But he's still quite a big boy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's taller than I thought. 193 centimetres. That's, that's pretty hefty. Yeah, yeah. Pretty lengthy man. Um, so you've got zero out of two so far, Justin. As I say, this was quite hard. This is probably the most gettable one for you. So hopefully you can redeem yourself here. Rank these four current and former championship stadiums in terms of capacity. Bournemouth's Vitality Stadium, Brantford's Griffin Park, Wickham's Adams Park and Rotherham's New York Stadium. That's actually pretty tough. I think Rotherham's the biggest. Rotherham's mm. the biggest. Bournemouth's the smallest at 9,000. Are they Wickham's... I don't know what Wickham's is. So I'll go with Rotherham at the biggest, Bournemouth at the smallest, then Wickham, then... I can't remember who that other team was. Then, then Griffin Park, Brentford. I've been to three out of those four grounds. I've not been, so, never been to the Vitality. You've been to Wickham? Yeah, I went to Wickham last season. That's quite surprising. I thought Wickham would be the one you haven't been to. Fair enough. Um, so Rotherham, Brentford... Wickham, Bournemouth. Yes. You have completely messed that up. You haven't got one in the right position. Are you being um, serious? <laughs> Griffin Park is the biggest, or was the biggest, 12,300. New York Stadium is 12,021. Vitality Stadium is the second smallest out of them, 11,379. Adams Park, 10,137. Adams Park, as I say, I've never been to Vitality, so it's quite hard to see. But Adams Park's got quite a big main stand. And then Rotherham, I assumed it was like fifteen, sixteen thousand, because it's quite a new stadium. And Griffin Park, again, you underestimate the size of Griffin Park, actually. Yeah, I can understand what you mean about Bournemouth. I have been to the Vitality Stadium, and it's it feels very small. And plus, you haven't got the corners either. So, yeah, yeah I can understand why you'd think that. But there you go; it's completely done. You incredible. 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 There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been uh, Scott Higher, Ryan Lowe. Justin got zero out of three. What a fraud. Uh, and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We've been going through the promoted and relegated teams, our newbies in the championship. Some of these teams we haven't spoken about ever before, have we, Justin? So that's been quite exciting. Looking look forward to seeing how they do in the championship next season, which is still quite a way off. But despite that, the content is continuing from us here at the Second Tier. This Sunday... It's uh, that time of the year, Justin, where we do free agent Tinder. We go through some of the players who are available on the market now without a club and talk about what kind of club they should be looking at at championship level, if they should be even looking at a championship club. Um, so that's going to be a bit of fun. So we look forward to seeing you then, ladies and gentlemen, on Sunday to talk about some of the free agents, those sexy free agents who are on the market right now. <laughs> look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Secretary Podcast. I have been Ryan Dilks. I have been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.